We are here and we are excited to study the Torah. I am so excited. I absolutely love studying the Torah. I'm grateful. I always never want to take it for granted. Oh, my name is Terry Farrell. For those of you who don't know me, everybody here knows me. Maybe you know me. You think you know me. You don't. Anyway, I'm so grateful to be able to sit here and talk about the Torah and just talk about my relationship with the Lord and how to uh, provoke, uh, encourage, to spark you to move in your relationship with the Lord even more. So that's our goal. That's always my goal. So let's pray, and then we'll start. Lord, we just love you, and we just thank you for Torah study. Lord, thank you for giving us your Torah. Thank you for those words, Lord, that you gave to humanity so that we could learn from you and learn how to better our lives, to better our, our world, our culture. Lord, thank you for giving us some nuggets today to help us to be a blessing to somebody. And Lord, we give you praise for all you're going to do this morning, Lord. Thank you for speaking to everybody's heart and individually in the way they need, in the individual way they need help, Lord. Because everyone needs help at their level. And everybody's at so many different levels. That's why you're God and I'm not. Lord, I just give you praise for all the things you're going to do today. And I want to say the blessing, a blessing which I can't see here. All right. Barukatah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Ashir Kedeshano B'mitzvotah V'tzivanyu La'asok Be'devrah Torah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross or immerse ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. And this weekend is a great weekend because it's, it's the weekend of Shavuot. Yay! Everybody been doing the countdown? Have y'all been faithful? I've been okay. Most of the time, yeah, we've been, we've been okay. We were better last year. Next year we'll be better with making sure we count the Omer. Because sometimes we just honestly, you know, life happens, you forget. So we did okay. So, and that's what life's all about, getting better. But this, this season's called Zaman Metan Toratenu. That means the season of the giving of the Torah. And I like to think of it as back when we used to, at least we, I say we, myself, used to celebrate Christmas. And I know, I bet no one in here celebrates Christmas now. Nobody would, nobody, what? You, I'm just joking. All right, just joking. But back then, when we celebrated Christmas, remember, you would wait. As a child, I counted down, like, in January. That's kind of sad. But because uh, you're looking so forward to that day, you're waiting, okay, when the next day. And the night before, I could never sleep. I, would, I just couldn't sleep. I would just be up. I would be in the bed, and I would lay there, and I, would just, I just couldn't sleep. But, and I'm saying that because that's the feeling we should have for the giving of the Torah. And I want to go through some of the days. I want us to picture ourselves as being in Israel. Think of yourself as a child going through the process, and you're watching this stuff go on, and you're like, what's next? So I want to start on Nisan 1. Nisan 1 was two weeks before the Exodus. The Lord showed Moses the new moon and commenced the divine lunar calendar. So God spoke to Moses it was almost, it was like prep work to me. It was before, way before the giving of the Torah, even before the Passover, God was 
obviously talking to Moses, teaching Moses, but Moses was the vital player in this. So that was on Nisan 1. Nisan 15. That evening, we know it happened. Israel put blood on the doorposts and had lamb for dinner. Think of the child in that situation. They don't know what's going on. They're just learning. They're saying, what in the world is happening here? We're putting blood on our doorposts. Dad, what's the problem here? You know, just think of that picture. So there's an anticipation. They don't know what's going on. Something's going to happen. They kind of think they know what's going on, but they don't know. They're ready, but we're not sure what was going on. I say it was like Christmas. At the stroke of midnight, Israel was, in a sense, born again. Because what happened at the stroke of midnight on Nisan the 15th? That's when the death angel came through and killed all the firstborn. But even though that sounds horrible, but Israel was at that moment kind of born again. A nation was born at that moment, which is amazing to me to think about. They didn't know what was going on. They just was going through the process of what God was showing them. And I want to relate this to our lives. We do this all the time. So on, on Nisan 15, this is when they leave. Because now Pharaoh says, okay, you go. Just go. It's time for you to leave on Nisan 15. Nisan 18, the Pharaoh pursues. Because the Pharaoh changed his mind for whatever reason. And again, think of yourself as a child in that situation. They're probably terrified. They don't know what's going on. Nisan 20, Pharaoh traps Israel, but God protects them with his, with his Shekinah glory. Isn't that beautiful? So God just comes and loves on them. And think, this is a huge army. This is like over a million people that are leaving Egypt. It's beautiful. Nisan 21 is the parting of the Sea of Reeds. And I want to fast forward all, way to, all the way to um, Sivan 6. And Sivan 6 is what? It's Shavuot. It's the giving of the Torah. And that's where we are tonight. And that's how special it is. It's that special because God gave humanity this gift called the Torah. And that's why it's so precious to us. Because before the Torah, it was pagan societies. We were doing things just, we were figuring it out. They were figuring life out. As a matter of fact, they probably figured out a lot of things that may have been in line with the Torah. Matter of fact, I know they did. But they didn't have the physical Torah. That's why the Torah is God's gift to humanity, which is a beautiful thing, and I'm so grateful for it. And we still have it today. We have three, and this is awesome. We have three Sefer Torahs. You know what a Sefer Torah is? I've been studying the Torah scrolls. Sefer Torah is the handwritten Torah. We have thousands of handwritten Torah scrolls all throughout our world now, thousands. And this Torah scroll is the same transmission that goes all the way back to that what I just described, all the way back to Sinai, which God gave to Israel. See, that's, how, that's the connection. We need to understand. When we pick up a Bible, our Bible is like a mini Torah scroll, if that makes sense. It's, we, it's not, but it's, it's a visual representation of God's word to us, and it's that special. That's how we should treat it. It's the truth. So, amen. This was the beginning of a relationship with God and Israel. That's why Israel is so important. That's why if you're studying the scripture and you don't know anything about Israel, anything about Jewish things, then you're missing a big part. I'm not sure. You're just missing it. But I remember the moment, as I, I've told you in the past, I'm a constructivist by heart. A constructivist simply means 
um, as we, as we, um, as we experience life, we construct our own understanding of the world that we live in. Think about that. As you experience life, like I was talking about the child, they're, they're going to construct their own understanding of the world. We all do this. We just may not say it, but we do this. We, gotta, we figure out life one step at a time. So let me go back to this scripture. Psalms 147.20 says, He has done this for no other nation. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. And I wanted to read that because God has not dealt with any other nation besides Israel the way it does. Israel only. He didn't deal with Greece this way. He didn't deal with um, India this way. God spoke to Israel. That's why it's so important to learn about Israel and learn about Jewish things. Because he spoke to this group of people. We have a covenant through Israel. I want to read Galatians 3.29. says, And if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. So we are blessed through Israel. Period. Ephesians 12. I didn't put the verse here. I think it's verse 20. I think it's 12 too. At that time, you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Again, it goes back to Israel. That's why it's so important to learn Israel, learn about Israel, learn about Jewish things, because that's going to help us. Could I live my life? Because there's a lot of Christians. Um, I was the same way that didn't know, doesn't know anything about Jewish things, doesn't know anything about Israel, doesn't learn about the feast festivals. Are they going to be saved? Are they going to? Sure. I think they're going to be fine. That's not up to me anyway. That's up to God. But why not learn about the one who God gave all this revelation to? That's my whole point of saying all that. That's my whole point. So uh, I like to go back when I first learned the revelation of, of the Jewish things. We were in, uh, we was in Clarksville, Clarksville, Tennessee. Anybody been to Clarksville, Tennessee? Anybody from, anybody been to Tennessee? Tennessee? Uh, we were living in Clarksville, Tennessee, and we were going to Clarksville Family Bible Church. I got to say it that way because a lot of people in the country are there. Clarksville Family Bible Church. Anyway, and I remember sitting in service, and behind us there was a guy. He was blowing a, this little horn thing. And this little horn thing I figured out later was a chauffeur. And that was one of our insights into learning about Jewish things. I didn't know anything about it. Clueless. Didn't know anything about Jewish nothing. Didn't grow up with it. N nothing at all. That was kind of an inclination. Another place that we learned about Jewish things were when Daphne and I, we were, we were the children's teachers at the, um, in the church there. We were, we were um, teaching the children different things. We were, we were children teachers for probably like four or five years. We were the children ministers there. Absolutely loved it. But we would get to the part of the curriculum that talked about the feasts and the festivals. And the children would ask me those hard questions. That's why I love to go back to the children. They would ask me the question of, why aren't we doing this festival? Why don't we do this now? And I would go, oh, I don't, I'm clueless. I don't know why we don't do this. But this took me on a journey and Daphne to learn about all these Jewish things and see how they are connected to God, which is awesome. So anyway, and this is my path, and all of us have different situations and different instances on your path of learning, because all of us learn this way. Some of us, 
Again, you put this piece of the puzzle together, you put this piece of the puzzle together, and then you have the whole puzzle, as much as you can. Do all of us have it? No, we don't have it all. We're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives. At least we should. We should be leaning forward to learn. We should be leaning forward to grow and to develop from people. That's the whole point. All right, story here about Jacob. Jacob was about to die. And I had the reference here. I don't see it. But Jacob was about to die. And instead of saying, well, I had a great life. Love y'all. See ya. Jacob did something that was awesome. And this is something that affects our culture. And this gets us to the culture conversation. He said, Reuben, your blessing is this. He said, Judah, your blessing is this. He said, he went through all his children. He told them what their blessing was. And what he was doing, he was laying the foundation for specialization. Think about this. We are to specialize in something to benefit our society, our culture, our world. That's what God has created us to do. What that is, I don't know. We all specialize in something. We're all wrapped up in this web of interdependence. And now it's so obvious something could happen in, in Rome today and the whole world would know about it in about what? Maybe 10 minutes, especially with the Internet and with YouTube. Now it's, just, now it's obvious that we're so connected. I think years ago it wasn't so obvious, but now it's so obvious with the invention of all the different technologies out there. So we are very much connected. Um, I have a phrase here. It's called structural functionalism. It's a theory that says we are connected. We need to find our highest and best way to serve our fellow human beings. That's what God has called us to do, whatever that is. Everybody has a profession. We need to pray for each other to prosper. When you prosper, I prosper. When you do well, I do well. That's just the way it is. We need, we need godly pilots, nurses, doctors, MARTA operators, Uber drivers, police officers, just to name a few. Businesses to make that, businesses that make products that can bless our lives. Uh, the better chicken sandwich, you get the point. But we should be, our lives should be focused on following God in that way. I had a story here. This, I went to, um, anybody ever been to this um, business called Just Breaks? Anybody? It's just a break place. Well, it's called Just Breaks. And there was a guy who was talking to me about my breaks. I needed to get some work. So it's been years ago. And he talked about those breaks like he was in love with those breaks. Matter of fact, he talked about those breaks so much, he made me go. He didn't make me, but I felt, I felt a spark to go look up brake systems to understand them a little more after he got through talking to me about those breaks. See, that's what God wants all of us to do with whatever our specialization is. He wants us to be so impassioned with it that our passion brings people in. It draw, he drew me in, and I was just there to get some work done on my breaks. I don't even know if he meant to, but he was just so passionate about it. And my point is, God has called us all to different arenas in life to be passionate and then just love working on it. And again, that's, and I just think that's awesome. How do we do that? What if I'm not passionate about what I think God has called me to do? I think the more we begin to learn about certain things, you just start to develop a passion. Like I teach math in the high school, and it's not like when I grew up, 
I was just all excited about mathematics. I really wasn't, okay? Math is cool. It's all right. But I think more I study it now, the more I learn about it, the more I start getting involved with it, what's happening to my brain? It's like I'm teaching my brain to be passionate about mathematics. Does that make sense? And, I, and I'm doing this. I'm developing myself. Is this something that God wants to do? Absolutely. It goes back to, what, to those blessings that Jacob said to all his children. He said, you know what? You need to go and do this. You need to specialize in this. Because everybody can't be a plumber. Because we don't need a million plumbers, right? But we need some godly plumbers who are passionate about being a plumber. Because when I have some issues in my house, I want to call somebody who knows what they're doing. And probably pay them way too much money to come out and fix a little piece of something. And then I'll be upset about it. Anyway, that's another story. But you know what? You pay them for their specialization. And that's, a, that's the way it works. And that's how life should work. And again, this is what our culture should be about. Our culture is about people serving in the place that God has called them to be. Period. And once they're in place, that's going to help everybody else to function better. And if they're not out in place, then that's an issue. Another story. After Cain killed, y'all remember the story with Cain and Abel? Everybody remembers that story? If not, just joking. All right. Uh, after Cain kills Abel, he is isolated from people. That was his consequence. Not really going to go too in-depth with that story. But his child, Enoch, and the word Enoch means education, he builds a city. And if you build a city, people will come. City is a good thing. City is a good thing because it brings people together to communicate. It brings people together to collaborate. Because if we're all by ourselves and isolated, it's hard to learn from each other if you're off in the mountains someplace studying Torah. Does that make sense? We need to be connected. That's why earlier I talked about structural functionalism. We are all connected. We need to understand that. I need you and you need me. We, we all need each other. Um, another story here. 2 Kings. Remember the story in 2 Kings where the widow, the widow woman, and she didn't have anything, and she went to Elijah and prayed. Well, Elijah was praying for her, but Elijah told her to go get something. Why did Elijah tell her to go get something? He told her to go find a small jar, and she went and found a small jar of oil. And then she told, he told her to go and find more larger jars. I have a good question here. Why didn't Elijah just magically poof something out? I think all of us have within us a seed for God to use. Does that make sense? It's like we need to, God put it in us for a reason. He put, it as, put that seed on the inside of us so that we could do something. It's there for us to do. It's, it's, we have to do it. God is there. He's, he, he wants us to do all kind of amazing things. But we have to be the one to cultivate it, to work it out, to develop it. I like to think of Moses. Moses was born, according to Jewish tradition, on the seventh of Adar, and he died on the seventh of Adar, which I think is neat. I don't know how true that is, but I still think it's neat just to think about that. And he lived for approximately 120 years. He lived 40, and it's in 40-year increments. His first 40 years, he was in Egypt. What was he doing in Egypt? He was being developed. He was learning from Pharaoh. He was learning all the ways of Egypt. 
You think he used any of that? Yes, absolutely he used that. The next 40 years, where was, where was uh, Moses? He was in the desert. He was out there with the sheep. I'm 47 years old. I haven't done nothing consistently for 40 years, okay? I'm 47. I haven't done nothing. Imagine he was, he was out with sheep for 40 years of his life. So now how old is he? He's about 80 years old, and now he's going to be the one who brings Israel to the promised land. So he started his ministry at 80. How many 80-year-olds do you know that are starting over? Isn't that amazing? I just think our concept of who God is and how he wants to use us sometimes is so small. I'm believing, I'm believing to live to at least 120. And I like saying that, and I'm going to keep saying that because I hope I, it's going to come to pass. And when I'm 120, remember these words, okay? Hopefully I'm sitting right here when I'm 100. Yes, I'm 100. Hopefully I ain't talking like that. But I want to be 120 doing the same thing I'm doing right now unless God tells me to do something different. And I believe that's what God has called us to do, wherever that capacity. I want to be teaching math. I want to be solving equations, yelling at teenagers, telling them to sit down, be quiet, do what you need to do, because they need help along the way, if that makes sense. All of us have to go through this process, and that's what we're doing here. We're going through a process of learning, a process of development. And I think sometimes we can get it twisted and think we know so much, but really we don't. We just need to work on being developed. Like I said, Moses was with the sheep for 40 years. I just, when I think about that, I just go, wow. And that's what he did, but God was teaching him something through that. And sometimes we need to develop, I like to call it the stare. What do I mean when I say the stare? I didn't know a term for this. This is just me. I know I'm kind of weird that way. I heard T.D. Jakes talking about it. He said, you got to develop the stare. When he said, like, what? That's my term. But the stare is sometimes when God is showing us and developing us on certain things, you got to learn how to meditate on that word. When I say stare, you got to like stay with it. Like Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night. Then you will do according to all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. See, sometimes you got to just wait on God and just stare at it and just develop on it and do it again. Okay, that didn't work. I didn't get it. Okay, do it another time. I didn't see it that way. Try it another way. That's why if we don't understand something, it's our own fault to not do our due diligence to go and get it. Does that make sense? You got to stay with it. You got to persevere. You got to have that bulldog mentality. Anybody ever seen a bulldog get into a fight with another dog? It's kind of a horrible, nasty sight. My sister got bit by a bulldog when we were younger. But when a bulldog holds on to you, he don't let go. I mean, he don't let go. Literally, it was two dogs that were fighting at my uncle's um, house. And the bulldog grasped on this other dog. It was a German shepherd. Everybody was like sad with the German shepherd. Like, let him go, man. Let him. He held on to the dog. They had to come out there with big two-by-fours and beat the dog, literally, in the head until he would let go. That's, anyway, sorry to tell y'all that story. But anyway, it just came out in that moment. Sorry. But the point of that is, when God shows you something, we need to develop that bulldog mentality to just stay with it until it gets done. Until it gets done. And just no matter what, stay with it. And then it's going to work. It has to work. Why does it have to work? Because God said it will work. And he says it in his Torah. And if he said it, guess what? 
it's going to happen. And if you have that mentality, everything is going to be great. Sometimes we get all weird on things and we get all crazy. We just need to focus on following him. Like I said, we need to focus on developing a passion for something, loving God, working on that. So again, we get so sidetracked on things. A little side note, last week we wasn't here, and this kind of ties in a little bit. Um, we had to go to a funeral in Florida. We had to go in, in Tallahassee, Florida. My first cousin was killed. Yeah, it was bad. It was in the news. It was, it was bad. Anyway, he was 33 years old, and he went to prison. He was actually killed in prison. Yeah, you can see the picture. It was, it was tough. It was tough. He, but you know what? He, he wasn't perfect, just like none of us are perfect. You know, he was in prison. He, but that was a culture that he put himself into, and that's tough. Nobody wanted to say that. A lot of people said that, but that was a culture he had himself put into. But honestly, they had a hit on him. Somebody had a hit on him in prison, and they killed him. That's tough. I'm so grateful that's not my culture out here. Does that make sense? So that's why we need to work within the confines of what we have and allow God to use us in that situation. So it was, again, it was, like I said, it was a tough situation. It's hard to watch. I mean, that was my, my uncle's only child. And to see your baby get, that was tough. I mean, that was, that was probably the hardest part. That is definitely the hardest part. But that's why we should thank God every day that we get another opportunity to do this. When we wake up, every morning I wake up, at least I try my best most of the time, I go on my knees on the right side of the bed, and I say, God, thank you for waking me up again today. I get another day to try this again. I get another day to learn. I get another day to develop. I get another day to grow. We should never take it for granted. We should never take our culture for granted as well, because that's, that's really the main topic here today. Daphne and I were watching um, uh, a documentary on North Korea. And y'all already know, you've seen a lot of stuff on North Korea. And if you're in North Korea and you can hear me, just know that God loves you. God loves you so much. And that's so important. Y'all may think, how do we know? I believe there are, not believe, I know just from watching and listening in different underground churches, there are Bibles being smuggled in to North Korea. There are different things, but they are so um, confined if you ever watch anything on it. They, they have a dictatorship there. They have a system that's called, it's socialism. And everything they do is, is goes back to this dictator, which is, is scary. It's a scary thing. When, when they were doing the different interviews in North Korea to the different people, when they were having the conversation, they really couldn't speak freely. They were really just saying what they were taught to say. They couldn't just have a regular conversation. Like in the United States, we take it for granted. You know, even though it's kind of sad sometimes when people are going back and forth in the news media, but you know what? We're free to do that. I'm free to cuss you out right now. It's not going to happen, okay? I promise. Okay? But you know what? I am grateful that I have that freedom. It's something that I don't want to ever take for granted. Like I said, my cousin, he was in prison, got killed. There was a lot of freedom that was taken away from him because he was in prison. He couldn't just get up and leave, right? In North Korea, they can't just get, get up and leave out that country because I got to go see my um, cousin in South Korea. They just can't do that. It's, it's illegal. They're gonna, you can't even have Bibles. Don't even think about having a Bible over there. Don't even think about having so many things that we just take for granted. So I always like to go back and we just need to stay grounded and just know and be grateful for what God has given us 
and just take advantage of it. It's awesome that we get to study the scripture and come together and have conversations. So, all right, next thought. What is the modern state doing to violate God's principles? Just think about that one. Don't cuss. Anyway, let me read it again. Maybe you're cussing in your thoughts. What is the modern state doing to violate God's principle? And my point of saying that is, it's our job as believers, when we see things in the culture that we can change, to do our due diligence to change it. That's why God put us in the culture. That's why we're here to pray for situations when we get the opportunity to pray for it. That's the whole point. Why is this thing not happening over here? Well, maybe because you ain't done nothing about it. Or me. Does that make sense? We can't just sit back and complain about our world. I can't believe this isn't happening. Why is this not happening? Stop. Okay? We just need to do our due diligence and pray when we get the opportunity. And if we can change it, change it. If not, live for God. Do what you need to do. When we increase the size of our government, and this right here is a Marxist principle, which I don't agree with at all, but I just want to read this to you just to talk about how we need to make sure we pray to get every, because our goal is always to have our culture be in line with God's culture. How do we do that? That's why we need to study his word to know who he is. All right, let me read this. This is about Marxism. Don't be mad with me. Maybe you will. When we increase the size of our government, we increase taxation. It turns people almost into slaves. Because think about it. Anyway, let me keep reading. This is the Marxist vision. You work for us, and we take care of your children's education, your retirement, your health care, all of your needs. You depend on the government, and we take away your desire to work slowly, sometimes more subtle than others. Think about North Korea. That's pretty much almost what they've done there and other communist regimes like, um, like Russia, the Soviet Union years ago, and China. That's what happened. They took away all of their rights and privileges, and now they just rely on the government's going to tell me to do this because this is the way it works. It sounds good. It sounds like, okay, let's just take all. It's like if everybody in here had some food. Let's take all of our food and put it together, and we're just going to share with each other. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds like a great idea, but it just doesn't work practically for a government. It just doesn't work at all. We can see what ha what's happening in Venezuela. You know what's happening in Venezuela? It's sad. I mean, it's, it's hyperinflation down there. It's, it's ridiculous. And this is just another, it's so many other countries as well. But let me keep reading. One of the things that Marx got wrong was, I have a few. Marx believed that capital could flow into to the hands of fewer people. The extremes would become more developed as capitalism developed. It's kind of true that most things end up in a Pareto distribution. A few people owning most of the, the wealth are good. That's what a Pareto distribution just means. Basically, um, more things are owned by a few people. Is that true? Yeah, it is pretty true. I, I think it's true all over the place. A few people owning most of the wealth are goods. This economic principle is true in many instances. If you look at problems in companies, if you fix a major problem, you can pinpoint most of the issues. That's the Pareto distribution. If you're looking at like a lot of issues in, let's say, a, in Congregation Beth Adonai, most of the time, if you, pick, if you fix the big issue 
it's going to somewhat fix some of the small issues without directly fixing those other issues. That makes sense. That's all Alfredo distribution is talking about. And this is actually in the scripture. I mean, it says it's not just about money. It's called the, I like to call it, I heard, um, who was saying this? Um, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Anybody heard Rabbi Daniel Lappin? He was talking about this, and he called it the Matthew principle. It's in Matthew 13, 12. It says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Read that again. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even, even, what, they will, even what they have will be taken from them. And I think what that simply means, sometimes we, I think people have learned to do things, and we need to be able to learn. Sometimes we try to vilify people who are rich. We try to vilify, vilify people who have things, and we really don't. We really should be trying to learn from people. Because that's the goal in our society, is to be better. So I'm going to leave that one alone for a moment. As you get better, your, your odds of getting better increases. It's like a roller coaster. The same, the same with not getting better. You're going in the other direction. So this is not unique to a Marxist system, but to any system of production. So Marx, he tried to clone this like this is a, that's why we need to, we need to do our best to get rid of all these rich people, get rid of all the capitalists. And if you do that, we think, okay, everything's going to be fine. No, it just doesn't work that way. That system of government, we've seen it fail over and over and over. It just doesn't work. All right, the deception is clear. And the title of our lesson was the family culture and community deception. Deception is clear. Don't allow the culture, family, or community to pull you into their way of thinking. That's the deception. Again, here we have a great environment here at Congregation Beth and I. We come here, we're able to grow, we're able to learn, we're able to develop. But our, does this happen all over the place? No, it does not happen all over the place. Does this happen in every family? No, there are a lot of family situations that are very toxic. As a matter of fact, no one wants to say any words they're afraid to speak words in the family because of all the different situations. That's why it's important for people to be born again before they're born again. Hear what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to be able to see what's going on in our environment and make conscious decisions about things ourselves. That's why I say in our environment it's easy. But think of somebody, think of a child in North Korea. They're growing up. Imagine, put yourself in North Korea, you're growing up, it's going to be difficult for you to see God because they're not teaching at all. Matter of fact, they're teaching things that are so contrary to that. You think it's possible for somebody in that situation to see God? Yes. That's why our God is awesome. Our God is greater than North Korea. Our God is greater than any communist regime, any of those things. That's why we need to know that. And if we know that, we need to pray for people in those situations and do our due diligence when we can to develop, to help people. If that makes sense. All right, my next question is, do you really know who you are? And the next one is, when will my smile be real? Culture, community, family's gone bad. Who defines you? God, your family, your culture, your community. 
God defines family, culture, and community in the Torah. Do you know now, and you know this, it's now hard, I say hard, people are even now questioning, and y'all know this, we're questioning gender. I mean, it's things that we go, I can't believe we're doing this. But I put this up here just to show the confusion in our world. This is one confusion. There's many. These are all the different ways that you can say that you're a male or female. Um, you're agender. You're, I can't even, I don't even want to go through all those. And I'm not. These are all the different, this is all the different levels of confusion that I wanted to show. There's so many out there. It's ridiculous. But again, I think we need to be open to help people. Because guess what? Maybe a child was born um, in a family where both parents are homosexual. And in that particular family, they're dealing with these issues. They got to figure this out. They're figuring out life. That's why we need to be in place to love them. That's why we need to make sure our lives are together. That's why we need to know Torah enough so that we can love on people when we get an opportunity. And it's, it's tough. Is it hard? Is that a hard conversation to have with people? Yeah, it is. Do we avoid that conversation sometimes? Yeah, we do. Because we don't even want to address it. If somebody comes, they're looking a little different than we are, or maybe they're dressed differently. Some of us, we run the other way because we don't even want to deal with it. I'll give you all an example. Last week, uh, we went, I say we, me and the boys, and they're going to do this until they're 18 at least, but we do homeless ministry once a month. And we go out and we get an opportunity. And normally, not every time, sometimes they give me an opportunity to talk. They ask me. I don't ask. We went out there just to, just to serve. And I absolutely love it. But I just, I'm saying that since we're talking about these gender, I know there are people that were there who were dealing with these gender issues. You can tell by the way they're dressed. You can tell by the way they talk. But guess what? They came to a place that's talking about God. Isn't that awesome? I just think that's great. And I think it's a privilege and an opportunity when we get a chance, whatever the chance is. It might be just walking, seeing somebody on the street. It might just be saying hello to them. Because you'd be surprised because some of them have been so hurt that they don't even want to step near a church. Because sometimes church people, I, just being real, church people can go there. Am I telling the truth? Church people can chastise people like nobody's business like you are lower than this, and I believe the church, the congregation, should be like a hospital. I want you to come in with your, whatever your dress. You know, however you come in, come in, sit down. Maybe later we'll have a conversation about it, right? But when people come in, we need to love on people because everybody needs help, and that's why God put us in this planet to do that, to bring people out. He, he's called each one of us to call people out of darkness into his light. That's our mission. And if we understand that, it helps me wake up in the morning and go, you know what? Another day to do my job to help bring people out of darkness. And it takes our attention off of ourselves. Because sometimes we can be very, um, would be a nice way of saying it, selfish. Am I telling the truth? Yeah. Because I don't think it's a, it's a, it's great that we have all these great conveniences. Uh, everything is awesome for us, but it can make us very lazy. And I want to go to a statement. And since we're on this topic, 
And I got this from, I was listening to somebody. I've been meditating on it like for the past two weeks. But it says, man has the propensity to become narcissistically self-involved in the perpetuation of our own private legacy. I want to unpack that and say that like three times. Let me read it again. Man has the propensity to become narcissistically self-involved. What's a narcissist? Great question, huh? A narcissist is someone who you're just thinking about yourself. Me, 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 me. My this. My that. Babies are narcissists. When that baby comes out, we go, look at the little narcissist. I like to make that joke. Little narcissist, because all he thinks about is feed me now. When he's hungry, guess what? Ah, feed me right now. Feed me right now. I don't care what you're doing. I, I'm not caring that you're taking care of something else for me. I want food now, right? And as we get older, hopefully we, we undo that. Some of us are still narcissists. Anyway, right? I mean, to be honest. Some of us are in certain ways. We're narcissists, and we have to do our due diligence to look at our lives kind of from the outside as much as we can and get rid of that. And let me read the statement again with that statement, what I just said. Man has the propensity to become narcissistically self-involved in the perpetuation of our own private legacy. When I say propensity, that just means you have the inclination to go in that direction. You're inclined to be a narcissist. It's, it's kind of a, a natural thing because you, you're, you're pulled that way. And I said here, in the perpetuation of our own private legacy. See, this should not be about me. This is about God. Your life should not be about you. It's not about you making a name for yourself. I listen to a lot of motivational speakers. A lot of them are awesome. But a lot of it is about me, 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 me. When I get my five grand when I get this right here, when I get my Lambo. I'm okay with that as long as what you're doing is to benefit God, if that, if that makes sense. I have another statement here. We've exchanged the mission to bring God's name into the world for the aggrandizement of our own name. Let me say that again. We exchanged the mission to bring God's name into the world for the aggrandizement of our own name. See, we're trying to make ourselves great, and you can see that in somebody like a mile away. It's all about me. I want to make sure my name is up here. Sometimes, and it's been a while, but sometimes you have people that come to the congregation or a church, and they come there with the, the soul. All they want to do is teach. When they come in here, they say, I'm bishop such and such, and I'm supposed to be in the front, and I need to be teaching. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But that's not why you're here. You're here to learn. You're here to develop. You're here to grow. And if the opportunity comes for you to speak words in front of people, well, then great. That's an awesome thing. Um, I have a few examples of that. Um, when I was in, I told you all, in the high school, I'm, I'm one of the sponsors for a club called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I didn't ask for that club. I didn't even know about the club. Never heard of it when I was in high school. And I, and I tell you that because when I was in high school, I was a heathen, okay? That's all I got to say. I was a heathen, okay? I'm just going to leave it like that with that testimony. I got much more to say about that, but we're going to leave it there. So that's why I didn't see an FCA. Fellowship of Christian Athletes was in my high school. As a matter of fact, when I go back and look at the yearbook, I was looking at the picture like, wow. Why did I not see that? 
Why didn't I see that? Because I wasn't looking for it. It could have been right in my face. Somebody could have witnessed to me. They could have been like, hey, Terry, I probably may have said some words to him. You better get out of my face, you blankety blank, blank. Anyway, going to know nothing over there. But, but see, that's why this mission is so much greater than us. It's so, it's so huge. Oh, and I, told, I said that, I almost forgot the story. Anyway, so one morning I was standing in the commons area. I was doing my job. My job was to monitor students, literally. I'm just monitoring students. Never heard of FCA, never heard of it. I was just there, minding my business, probably telling somebody to put their head, put your headphones up, man. Put the cell phone up. Stop doing this. What are you doing? And I look up to my left or right, and I see kids in this room like this. And I go, whoa, what? I literally stopped and just made a beeline to the room. And that's how I find out about FCA. Because they were in there praising God. They were having praise and worship in the school. And all I, had, all I said was, I don't care what y'all doing. I just want to be a part of it. Literally. And I believe that's how it needs to be with us all over the place. We need to be connecting with believers everywhere. It's kind of like a secret code, but it's not that secret. If you're a believer, we're connected. We're brothers and sisters. We're on the same team. That's why we need to understand. That's why we need to understand. That's why we, when we pray for our leaders. We need to pray for people who are behind the scenes with our leaders who are speaking to them. We need to play for, for those strong leaders. And that's just how it is. So we'll leave that other story. I have other stories as well, but we'll leave that alone. Let's get back to the notes. And we have five minutes. All right, let's end with this because I have a lot of notes that I didn't even touch. But I want to start here because we only have five minutes. I want to talk about, so again, the big picture is we're being affected by God and then we affect our culture. Okay, I have five top issues, I believe, that are affecting Americans. And I got a lot of this from Prager University. Anybody heard of Prager University? If not, you should look it up. Prager is awesome. We have five top issues I believe that are affecting America. And, but specifically, that are affecting black Americans. And I say that because black Americans make up about 12.3% of our population. Hispanics, about 12.5%. And 76.9% are white, Hispanic, Latino, just the makeup of our, our world. And just even thinking about ethnicity, we didn't become black until we came to, until after slavery. I don't know if y'all remember, it's been a long time ago I had a conversation about that. But just the idea of being black, that comes from that goes all the way back, just to be honest, that goes all the way back to slavery. It really does. And I, we don't have a lot of time to go through that. But really, I like to think of each one of us in different cultures. See, our culture is American. I'm an American. You're American. That's our culture. We have so many different ethnicities. If I started naming ethnicities here, it would be wild, right? We got some from Jamaica. 
We got some from the Virgin Islands. We have some from all kind of places. All over the place. Different ethnicities, right? We have different skin tones. We do. We have different skin tones. And I I think that's important to to understand that. But I think the big deal is we all have the same culture here in in America. Same culture. My skin tone looks like this. So in America, they call me black. But my ethnicity is probably wherever my origins came from, wherever that is. Actually, I did my DNA, so I kind of know. Even though my origin, I think it's awesome, but it actually changed. It, it was, I was a certain percentage of Nigerian, and then it just popped up and changed on me. So really, I don't know. I was like, wow, great, now I'm this, you know. But we really don't know. But we do know what our culture is. Do we have to guess what our culture is? No, the culture is where you grew up. You know that you're an American. My ethnicity, personally, I, eh, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'm a Nigerian. Maybe I'm, uh, what was the other one that came up? Um, Benin Togo. I was Benin Togo as well, a certain high percentage of Benin Togo. But anyway, let me get back to this. I wanted to, and this is just a picture of our world. What do you see there? Like, we're doing graphs. In 1965, the out-of-wedlock births was 25% the rate in 1965. 2015, what is it? 73%. It's probably worse now. That was in 2015. For white, it was 1965, it was 5%. Now it's about 25%, which is still bad compared to where it started off. For Hispanic, it's about 24%. What's the other one? About 53%. Wow. This is what's happening to our world. Is this how God wants it to be? Absolutely not. So what do we do to change it? A lot. There's certain things that we have to do. We need to do our due diligence to change our culture. So I have a few principles here. This is one. This is where I'm probably going to stop. One is called the victim mentality. What's the victim mentality? Blaming other people for our issues. Do we do that? Yes, we do that all over the place. And this particular book, um, this guy named Jordan Peterson, he has some principles here that I want to talk about. He has 12 rules for life principle. And principle number one is stand up straight with your shoulders back. It's simple, but it just means I need to take responsibility for my actions. And as I take responsibility for my actions and look things head on, I can change this. We can change our world. Because our men need to do our due diligence to stay in the family. Absolutely. It's so simple, but these are things that we got to teach people. We got to talk about these things. And that's what, that's what we need, strong moms. We need strong dads in the family so that we can speak about these things. We can start with our family, but it's not just our individual family. Do you think your neighbor's children are going to affect you? Absolutely. So we can't just think about us four no more. We got to do our due diligence to affect the world as much as we can. This blaming mentality goes all the way back to Adam in the Garden of Eden. All the way back. So it's not like it's new. This didn't just come up in the, 
in the 21st century. It's been there the whole time. Like we were talking about the whole narcissist idea. We have a tendency to go in that direction. So that means we need to do our due diligence not to go in that direction. Got a quote here. I love this. This is by Leonard Cohen. It's a quote. It says, in a massacre, there is no decent place to stand. What does that mean? Read it again. In a massacre, there is no decent place to stand. That means sometimes we need to just do our best in the situation that we have and make the best decision in that situation and stop trying to blame people. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we're trying to figure out whose fault it is. And this is, we, you know we're bad in the news media with that, right? I don't even go there too much with that. But we're always trying to figure out how to blame this. Is this person's fault? Is that person's fault this is happening? Sometimes it just doesn't, just figure out what you need to do, make a decision, and move forward for the betterment of the world and society. Last, last example, um, y'all know Matthew, my son. Um, he got into an accident. It's been, it's been years ago. It's been probably like five years ago. But it was a bad accident. It was, it was horrible. And the tire on the other car, it was, it was deflated or something. It was like too, he didn't have, they didn't have enough air in it. And her car went spinning. And she just rammed into my son in his car. And they literally almost died in that situation. So when both of them got out of the car, no words were spoken as, as Matthew tells it. No words were spoken. They just came over to each other and just gave each other a hug. It was just like, they, they didn't know each other. But you know what? Did anybody try to figure out whose blame, whose fault it was? Who cares? What, that's why the whole blaming thing, we just, I just think we go in the wrong direction so fast. We just sometimes need to just figure it out. That's why I love that quote. In the massacre, there is no decent place to stand. Just figure it out. You know, walk with God one step at a time. Allow him to speak to us. Do our due diligence in our, whatever we're passionate about in our career field. And that's it. That's simple. I want to do what I'm doing here for the rest of my life. Unless God tells me to do something different tomorrow. And then I'm out of here. See you. It's simple. But we got to keep it simple like that. Because if not, we just go in the wrong direction really fast. So I think it's time to pray. And we have about 15 minutes to service. And I think that's it. Let's pray. Father, I just love you so much. I just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us. We didn't love ourselves, Father. Lord, show us how to be a blessing to people around us. Show us how to be sensitive and listen to people, Lord, and pray for people. And just hear them and not be so judgmental to, be able to push people away. Because you put us on this planet to help pull people out of darkness into your light, Lord. And I give you praise for all that you're doing. In Yeshua's name, amen.